Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu, and you can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com, or you can find this podcast at www.aboutsexpodcast.com. And today we are speaking with Barry McCarthy. Barry McCarthy, PhD, is the author of Rekindling Desire, Enhancing Couple Sexuality. He's actually got a really cool long list of interesting books. Another is Creating an Intimate and Erotic Bond, Finding Your Sexual Voice, Celebrating Female Sexuality, Sex Made Simple, and actually there's a bunch, Therapy with Men After 60, Developing Your Couple's Sexual Style, lots of men's sexual health books, which I wanted to put uh, a couple of them in. One was Coping with Erectile Dysfunction, and one is Coping with Premature Ejaculation. So those are just a few in his repertoire. Thank you, Barry, for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Well, looking so forward to talking to you. I'm looking forward to having you on again. I'm really appreciative that you decided to come back. Actually, Barry, this is your second time interviewing with me. So I'm curious, um, what are you working on today? Well, the book that we're working on now is called Contemporary Male Sexuality. It will be published in early 2021. Um, and it's a pro-male, pro-female, pro-couple, and pro-sexuality book. Have an overview of a, a way of understanding men that neither puts them on a pedestal nor demonizes them. You know, why did you think that was an important book to write this year? I mean, I always think a lot of books are important, but why focus on male sexuality this time? Well, I think there's a tendency in our culture to go from one extreme to another. I yes, think that's one of the approaches that has that is not helpful to men, women, or couples. In that, I think there was in the old days there was this notion that the male sexual response and the male way of being sexual was the natural right way, and it was uh, women were inf- men were superior, men were inferior. I think mm-hmm. there's a new trend that's equally unhealthy, but on the other extreme, and that is the demonize male sexuality to put men down as Neanderthals, as mm-hmm. not aware enough of not really caring about intimacy and pleasuring and focusing only on intercourse frequency. And what I try to present is a way of men and women being more empathic, respectful, so they work together as both intimate and erotic allies. That the old split, the old traditional split, is that women were all about intimacy and pleasuring, and men were about eroticism and intercourse frequency. And that cheats everybody of a good, healthy sexuality. I 100% agree with that. Honestly, as you were talking, I was thinking of every man that's ever sat on my couch, and quite a few of them, yes, I mean, frequency is a piece of it, but it's never the whole picture. They also want a woman who is engaged, who's enjoying herself. Like most of them, really want to pleasure their partners. They, it's not just about them. Do you see that too? <laughs> I, well, here's the big issue. And I think it's a crucial issue. And it needs to be spoken about very clearly. And that is, as adolescents and young adults, men and women learn about sex very differently. And the major difference is for men, most men, never all men, one of my favorite lines is sexually one size never fits all. But the great majority of men learn to be sexual autonomously. In other words, he gets an erection, he he has intercourse, he has an orgasm, he doesn't need anything from his partner. 
for the majority of women, again, not all women, but the majority, they learn sex is variable and flexible, and they also view it as intimate and interactive. So it's like they're speaking two different languages. Now, what happens in adult sexuality is that the best adult sexuality, both of them experience desire, both of them feel good about pleasure, both of them feel good about eroticism, and they feel satisfied, which includes orgasm, but satisfaction is much more than orgasm. And so learning that language and speaking to each other in that language, I think is so important. I think one of the things that most people don't understand, including mental health professionals and including physicians, is when couples stop being sexual, especially after age 50, it's almost always the man's choice. It's a very bad choice made for the wrong reasons because he's lost his comfort and confidence with autonomous sex. And that one of the things he has to learn, and it's better to learn it in your 20s and 30s and not wait to your 50s and 60s, is that sex is primarily about sharing pleasure. It's, and it's primarily a couple experience, not an individual performance. All right. Now, before we get into this next conversation, I just want to stop to give us a word from our new sponsors. So I am now working with a really cool company called Let's Get Checked. You can find them at trilgc.com slash stay kinky. What's really cool about this company actually is that they're doing testosterone testing for men and hormone checks for men and women. A lot of people are struggling with hormonal imbalances and reduced testosterone levels, which really can impact your sex life. And so more and more men and women are trying to test their hormone levels to see how they're doing. One in four men over 30 are actually low in testosterone. Symptoms you might want to look at include fatigue, erectile dysfunction, low sex drive, anxiety, brain fog, even having a hard time making decisions, which is basically most of my client population. (laughs) Just teasing. But I mean, enough of you who come see me are actually really struggling with testosterone levels and your sex drive. So what's cool about this group is you can pick from either a male hormone test kit, a female hormone test kit, or an STD test kit. And what's really cool is they send it right to you in your home. You do what you need to do to take the test. And depending on what test you use, you'll either have to do a blood sample or a blood sample and a urine sample. And then you send it back and everything's completely confidential. And basically they deliver to your home, they collect your sample, they review your results for you. So depending on what happens with your test, they may provide a prescription in some cases. Usually it would only be for something like if they're treating STDs. If you do end up having something longer term like hormone therapy, then you'll likely be referred to a longer term provider. But at least you'll know where you stand. So it's really cool. Your results are available and they'll be reviewed by a physician. And then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. The Let's Get Checked Laboratories are CLIA approved and everything is completely anonymous. So again, that website is trylgc.com slash stay kinky and use the coupon code stay kinky to get 20% off. Okay. So Barry, what do you think happens then for the couple when you've got the man kind of coming from this sense of I can do it all by myself and you, I guess, are a helper or... Like what, well, uh, what does it look like when it's translated between couple? I think couple. the way it looks like, especially for couples in their 20s and 30s, is that sex is more the man's domain than the woman's domain. I He's the one who that. says we ought to have more intercourse. I, and he says, I care about you. I want you to have an orgasm. 
But I want you to have the right kind of orgasm, the way I have an orgasm, a single orgasm during intercourse. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, except that that's not the reality for six out of seven women. Yeah, it's okay if it's a piece of it, but you don't want that to be the whole puzzle because the puzzle of women's sexuality is pretty complex. <laughs> it's complex, but it's it's also, it's first class. It's not inferior. It yeah, is absolutely. more complex, but it isn't inferior. That's a really important concept. And, you know, if you look at the average woman, the average St. Louis woman, she's orgasmic not 100% of the time in terms of couple sex. If, if sex were just about orgasm, neither men nor women would have couple sex. They would be doing <laughs> masturbation. Because it's sex, easier and quicker and you don't have to deal with all the complications of two reliable. people. <laughs> it's reliable. But that by its nature, couple sexuality is complex. And that you ought to embrace that complexity and enjoy that complexity. And it's also important to understand that there's one out of three women who is almost never orgasmic during intercourse. And that's not a sexual dysfunction. It's normal, healthy female sexuality. And that what happens with men, especially over 50, is that they say, I can't be sexual like I used to be. And I've lost my comfort and confidence, and that's why I give up sex. And it's a terrible loss of the man, the woman, and the couple. Something I want to bring up about that, it actually reminds me of one of your episodes. Well, so so that everybody listening knows, Barry did an episode with me before. And one of the things I really learned from you in that episode is that there's kind of a transition that males go through um, where they didn't have to work very hard to get their erection. It kind of felt natural for a time. And now I'm, we're not speaking for everyone anywhere in all of right. our episodes because everybody's their own unique snowflake, right? But... For quite a few young men, their erection isn't as hard to achieve. It kind of just happens, like the wind can blow. And, right, <laughs> or, you spontaneous know. erections, right. Yeah, but then at, there's this certain point where they become very consciously aware of like the effort involved, and like that becomes a difficult challenge for men who, I guess, thinking about what you're saying, like they, they learn to kind of be sexually autonomous. They didn't have to work with their partner. They just kind of... They could count on their erection to work out. <laughs> right. The and now they're struggling. Is, is highly predictable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a notion. That's why the male model is the performance, individual performance model. And that ultimately the better model for men, women, and couples is an intimate, interactive, variable, flexible model. And that's what predicts being sexual in your 60s, 70s, and 80s. But forget about sex and aging. If you look at the typical... 30 or 40 year old mm-hmm. that they feel better about sex when they both understand that sex is primarily a team sport and it's a team sport about sharing pleasure. It's not an individual pass fail performance test. That, you know, if, if I were going to take one concept and there's a million concepts that I love about the sex field, but mm-hmm. the concept I love the most is the idea that when you turn towards your partner as both your intimate friend and your erotic friend, that's what makes couple sex so healthy. And even when you have negative experiences, nobody ever talks about this, but if you look at the average couple been together two years or longer, about 5 to 15% of their sexual experiences are dissatisfying or dysfunctional. 
it's normal occasionally to have lousy sex. The <laughs> test of a couple is if you turn toward each other and say, it's okay. That we don't have to get caught in the blame, counter-blame fight that, that so often happens with couples. You know, Barry, when you mentioned that, I was just thinking about clients earlier today. I'm not going to make mention, or of course, but like just a general thought from earlier today is that pass-fail mentality, that sense of, like, I think people are rejecting themselves in their heads sometimes. That's what I kind of say is, you know, like, instead of having this conversation, like you said, where they turn towards each other, which sounds very Gottman of you, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're doing or not, but it reminds me a lot of that sense of, hey, it's cool. You know, we have good times, we have bad times. But like, with a client earlier today, it felt like, no, that's all by himself. You know, like, he's, if he's a failure, he's all a failure in his own head. And it, it gets so pervasive for some men that they'll reject themselves before even trying because they don't want to be such a failure that they let their partner down. And it's so interesting to me. That's a very common pattern. Yes. And it's so interesting to me when I bring the other partner in um, because often the things that the male is thinking to themselves is nowhere near what the wife or the partner, the female partner, or even the other male partner is thinking. It's very different. You know, it's, it might be, I just don't want you to feel down on yourself or I don't want to put pressure on you. It's often very different, but because of that pressure, it's so very much solo as you describe, there is just, it's, it, it makes it even harder for them to overcome whether they're having erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or just having bad sex that they're not proud of. <laughs> that makes sense. But, you know, I think the big question is whether you think of your partner as somebody you're sharing pleasure with and, and that means pleasuring eroticism and orgasm. I'm always a big fan of arousal intercourse and orgasm. But that can't be the, de- the basic definition of sex. Mm-hmm. If, if it's an in, Because those are all individual performance definitions. Well, what do you think is a good definition then? I think the best definition of sex is this idea that we're sharing ourselves in terms of pleasure, and that includes sensual touch, playful touch, erotic touch, as well as intercourse touch. It's this idea that... It, Everything's a, a pass-fail, uh, whether it's intercourse, it's erections, or it's woman's orgasm. And if you look at things like the, the, many, most of the self-help books and most of the porn videos, they're always about being a better performer, a better erotic performer, rather than this integration of intimacy, pleasuring, and eroticism. So to me, that's the key of satisfaction. Um, You know, one of the most interesting things that I actually have couples practice this, where one of them can be the man or the woman, but it's usually uh, the woman, is not orgasmic, but the man is orgasmic. But the woman feels more satisfied with the sexual experience than the man. That is a powerful, powerful learning that really confronts this idea that sex is about an individual performance rather than a sharing of pleasure. That reminds me of erotic compassion, you know, where you learn, or compersion from um, non-monogamous couples, where mm-hmm. you, you learn to experience joy through your other partner's pleasure, um, right. whether you're experiencing it through sensory feeling their pleasure or through emotionally thinking about the process of them 
just completely losing control and enjoying themselves and feeling fulfilled in a way. I mean, in, in the female version, it's inside you, right? And, mm-hmm. and that can be quite exciting, but it's a different way of looking at sexuality. You know, Barry, you were talking for a second there about eroticism and not all mm-hmm. our clients, or I mean, not all clients listen to me. I have just listeners too, but I'm curious for my listeners, how do you define eroticism? I define eroticism as an integral part of healthy individual and couple sexuality. And there's more similarities and differences between men and women in eroticism. And I think that's key, that you want to integrate eroticism into that mantra of desire, pleasure, eroticism, and satisfaction. And if you think about intensity of, of feelings, eroticism, and there's a 10-point scale, where zero is neutral, 10 is orgasm. Eroticism is between 6 and 10. And eroticism, you know, the biggest mistake that men make with pro-medications, pro-erection medications, is as soon as he gets an erection, his subjective arousal is four or five. He rushes to intercourse because he's afraid he's going to lose it. Rather than they as a couple continuing to engage in multiple stimulation before and during intercourse and not transition to intercourse until their subjective arousal is a seven or an eight. Don't transition to intercourse until you're really turned on. And then allow intercourse to be a combination of pleasuring and eroticism. So the key with eroticism, whether it's manual stimulation, oral stimulation, rubbing stimulation, or intercourse stimulation, is you want to go with the erotic flow, to build the erotic flow, and then that orgasm comes naturally from the erotic flow. Barry, something you said just like triggered something for me. I've been thinking a lot about um, the different stages of penis function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know, right. like, so this means something. Um, not all, I don't, we don't always get this in depth in my show, but I, I kind of want to do it with you this time because we did, I learned a lot from you last time. Um, so, anyhow, I was talking to my own partner about different stages of like erectile stimulation. Mm-hmm. And he was describing to me the very small, like when it kind of just perks. So it's not up, but it's kind of perked. And then mm-hmm. there's times where it goes up a little more and it feels like it it's kind of almost half cocked. And mm-hmm. then there's times where it goes beyond that and it feels like it's it's just solid as a rock, right? right. And I was thinking about what that's you said what we earlier. Would call erotic flow in terms of his subjective arousal and mm-hmm. objective arousal is an eight or a nine. Exactly. So I was thinking about what you said and that like perhaps because males are so used to this kind of I've got to do this myself that they they don't pay as close attention to what that looks like when you're with a partner versus when you're on your own and in your own head. And I was curious, yeah, what what did you think about like how do you incorporate a partner into some of those stages even of an erection and how you learn to create that erotic flow? Well, I think the notion is that you, anything, if you become self-conscious, it's anti-erotic. Yes, Awareness really, really helps. And one of the best ways for the man and the woman to be aware, but especially the man, is that he doesn't rush the process. He Mm -hmm. goes with, for most people, it is this notion of comfort, pleasure, arousal, erotic flow, orgasm. And that the big difference 
is that he can enjoy erotic flow around that eight, nine, and doesn't have to rush to orgasm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really healthy feeling. And that's true whether you're talking about manual, oral, or intercourse stimulation. You know, most men, once they're inside the woman, and most men have intercourse with the man on top position using short, rapid thrusting. And he has a positive experience and shares with her the positive experiences of giving and receiving stimulation during intercourse and really enjoying those experiences of erotic flow. And then I think for many men, receiving testicle stimulation, receiving kissing stimulation, receiving buttock stimulation will enhance the experience, but also his giving, whether it's giving clitoral stimulation, giving buttock or anal stimulation, giving breast stimulation, he can really enjoy her arousal. And that's what we talk about, about partner interaction arousal, where each person's turn on turns on the other person. And again, the best sex is mutual and synchronous sex. In other words, both people are into it. They both really enjoy the whole experience, including orgasm. But, you know, for most people, this is something, again, I don't think people really understand and don't appreciate and enjoy. For most folks, most of their sexual experiences are asynchronous, better for one partner than the other. So it's positive for both, but it's better. And for most young couples, their experiences, it's better for the man and the woman. But Mm -hmm. as you age, especially after 50, asynchronous sex is likely to be better for the woman than the man. And that, again, is a great cue for enjoyment as opposed to a cue for anxiety. Just to break that down, because some of my listeners may not know the difference, um, all it means is you're probably not going to sync up on how you're building in your desire. You're not going to sync up on when you're getting your orgasm. So synchronous, people always assume they're going to get their orgasms at the same time, right? Right, or which they're assuming happens for most people. No, it's actually not that common. But because because people have this mentality or notion that that's what it's supposed to be, then that's when they feel like there's something wrong with them. That I must be crazy because I'm not having we're not having mutual orgasms. And the reality is, if we put this back into that scale you described, where you kind of building, um, you're not even as consciously aware of your erection throughout the whole time. So. You, earlier you said when you become aware of that orgasm, you, it almost becomes not sexual. And I think it's when people lock on that idea. So it's not that like that moment when you're like, oh, I've got a little bulge in my pants or I'm kind of excited right now. No, it's it's when you get too locked on it. And instead of just getting back into the erotic flow, like we were talking about earlier, where you're just enjoying yourself, you're touching each other, you're engaging. It's this kind of mutual connection, they get too focused on that. And they're like, oh, is it is it going to do any more than this? Or is this is where it's going to stay? And like, I've heard so many guys just like their inner monologue comes out in my session, obviously. And they're, they're like thinking it and overthinking it. And instead of like just a passive thought, like I think of this like mindfulness, for example. Mm-hmm. So instead of just this passive thought of, oh, I'm kind of aroused, but let's get into this sexual experience and really enjoy what I'm doing and like get lost in this erotic really being flow. sexually present. Because I think exactly. what happens, you know, St. Louis is the, where they started the whole theory 
about about spectating and performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. Sex with is Masters a, and Johnson, right? Right. It's an active process. You, the more you focus on individual performance, the more you are not present, but you're in your head. That's not healthy at all. Let me t- say one other thing that's incontroversial, but I think is really, really important. Sounds good. And that is for both men and women, it's very, very common that they use erotic fantasy during partner sex as a bridge that helps them stay more present and as a bridge that allows them to go with the sense of pleasure and eroticism. And that... Um, People worry about erotic fantasy. It'll take you out of the situation, which is obviously terrible. But most of the time, erotic fantasy is truly the major form of multiple stimulation during partner sex for both women and men. And that's, again, part of this idea of giving people permission to find what works for you rather than some arbitrary performance demand whether it's, whether it's uh, simultaneous orgasm, which is my favorite example of something that makes <laughs> no sense at all. Like that never happens. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It isn't that it never happens. Sure. But for most folks, when it happens, it's an incredible disappointment. Really? Why? It really Wait, is. Why is it? Orgasm is a three to 10 second phenomenon. Oh, okay. And trying to, to engineer it so you have the same three to 10 seconds is much more likely to feel like an engineering project than actually getting lost in the sexual sensations. Oh, yeah. Actually, I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I think back to some of my better experiences and they weren't, they didn't sink at all. I had my own space. Maybe my partner didn't orgasm at all at that time, but I was just lost in the void of sex. So Mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense. (laughs) But if you're trying to manage it and make it perfect, then you're going to hate it. Mm -hmm. Sex is anti-perfectionistic. Yeah. It really is. But the, but in so much of the media, sex is about perfect performance, both for men, and but also increasingly, you know, the rates of female sexual dysfunction is actually going up rather than down, which I think... I, just drives me totally crazy. That's kind of baffling considered we keep trying to teach people about female sexuality. Are they just consciously cutting it down? (laughs) Well, I think this idea that female sexuality is supposed to mirror male sexuality is crazy-making. That The notion that says you're a first-class woman and enjoy the complexity, enjoy the individual issues, enjoy your own style of being sexual. Don't compare it to your partner's style. And this is the thing that uh, I'm writing, as I'm getting older, I'm writing more about aging. Mm-hmm. And that one of the things about aging is that one of the best predictors of staying sexual in your 60s, 70s, and 80s is where the man learns to piggyback his arousal on his partner's arousal. How and does he do that? I think he basically, instead of being threatened by it, or he has to you know, be erect or have as many orgasms or whatever it is, is that he understands that as he ages, that what makes sex work for him is the idea that it's the team sport, it's the sharing issue, but it's about pleasure. It's not about performance, that his penis 
his orgasm becomes less reliable, but it, it becomes much more of the sense of we need each other in a way that we haven't needed each other 10 years or 20 years or 40 years before. And that, I think, is what allows people to feel good about their sexual bond and their sexual interaction. So I'm really optimistic about sex, but I think the biggest, there's two major reasons the female desire problems are going up rather than down. I think the one is, this, is the individual performance criterion, that issue, that she's supposed to have an orgasm each time. You know, the most anti-erotic thing men say to women is at the end of sex, she turns to her and says, well, did you come or not? That is a real turn on. That's so true. I'm telling you, I think it feel, that's the pressure right away. Did you orgasm? Did you come? It's like, I, uh, like most women kind of shut down or just lie, like right away. <laughs> just lie. Yeah, I did. A bunch. <laughs> I think the other is the, the message is for the woman to have her own sexual voice. You know, of all the books we've written, the, the two books that have sold the least well are two of the best books, Finding Your Sexual Voice for Women and Enhancing Couple Sexuality for Men. But here's the thing. For some women, being passive in foreplay really works for her. And predictability and routine really works for her. And if it works for her, that's fine. But for most women, that does not work well, that they get tired of being passive in foreplay. They get tired of, come on, let's get, let's make sure you're really turned on so you can have an orgasm and we can go on and have intercourse. That's crazy making. Hmm. That what do you she, think makes it crazy making? Because sex is not, for men or women, it's not a spectator sport. You've got to be present. You've got to be involved. And so giving and receiving touch, whether it's sensual touch, whether it's erotic touch, whether it's intercourse touch, for most people, being passive is anti-erotic. You know, Barry, I actually take it a little bit further than that because I think when women stay passive for too long, that it almost feels um, like it shuts them down entirely. Like I feel like there are these stages where they'll be passive for a time and they have to be kind of aroused or brought into the situation, but then they lose it entirely. Mm -hmm. And then there comes a time where they almost like they're only having sex for him and they feel nothing. Like they feel dead inside. <laughs> and One out of three adult women complain about they had their sexual voice, they felt desire, and now it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that the way to regain your sexual voice is to find your preferences in terms of desire, pleasure, eroticism, and satisfaction. And that a lot of that time, that your style, your preferences are going to be different than the societal norm, and it's going to be different than your partner's. And you don't have to be on a defensive or apologize for that. You say, this is who I am as a sexual woman. Some of the time we'll do it your way. Some of the time we'll do it my way. Some of the time we'll, we'll find our way as a couple to, to be sexual. But that's but very collaborative and not so competitive. Like, Absolutely. you know, that pass-fail puts us kind of in a competition. But what you're describing is we're working together and we kind of incorporate both sides. Right. 
Okay. And that you want to celebrate the complexity. You don't want to say the male model is the right model. You can say my model for me is the right model. Let's find what's the right model for us as a couple. And part of that is understanding that sex has multiple roles, multiple meetings, and multiple outcomes. And again, that's a hard message. It's not like a politically correct message, but I think it's a very motivating, empowering message for couples to find the sexual style that really works for them. I think it's also hard because people have been taught in that, like there's just, you do A, B, and C, and then you're done. You know, like we, we have been taught very linear ways to be sexual with each other. And so what you're suggesting, Barry, is very um, broad. And I think when people can't define it very easily, I don't know, I've noticed this about American culture, especially um, if we can't like pin it down, we just don't like it. (laughs) We want it to be simple. It's like a political message. Got to be a simple message. Yeah. Make it simple. Get to the point. (laughs) It's not true. But sex is, you know what though? You know what? To be fair, when I can get my couples down or even one client down in a couple with the idea that, you know, sex is bigger and broader than that. Like, why don't you explore touch? Why don't you explore getting lost in your head? Why don't you explore erotic styles, doing something different? You know, it's funny, but almost every time if they really take it in and and try it, their sex gets better because they never... For example, sensate focus is a common thing you use to get people in their sensory brain trying something new and different. But almost always people will tell me, wow, sex just got more erotic than it's ever been. I'm touching my partner in a way I've never touched them before. (laughs) And it's amazing to me. Go on, what are you going to say? I always encourage people to do these psychosexual skill exercises where they, they define sex as more than intercourse. So many couples, they've only got affection, they've got intercourse. Learning sensual touch, playful touch, and erotic touch is really valuable. For most people, they're used to the idea of giving a partner interaction arousal. For some people, learning that self-entrancement arousal, where one of them's a giver, one's a receiver, that can be really enjoyable too. Mm -hmm. You You know how you know that a couple are cured (laughs) <laughs> that is when they have a lousy sexual experience where they can turn toward each other and either laugh about it or at least shrug it off. You know they're in trouble when they have to apologize or they have to blame. By its nature, sex is variable and flexible. Again, I think that's an important, important and crucial message. And that's what's going to allow you to be sexual in your 60s, 70s and 80s. The more you treat it as a performance, an individual performance, you're going to stop being sexual, whether that's at 30 or more commonly at 50 or 60. Well, and to add to performance, you know, because a lot of, I'm sure a lot of guys listening will be thinking about that piece when they can have that same mentality and just be like, meh, my penis was interested today. Meh, my penis wasn't. You know, like it's such a casual attitude. But to be honest, I think the people who have the best sex, it's, yeah, no, it's accepting. It is, absolutely. But the couples that I've seen who do the best or who don't have erection issues at all, for example, or like, you know what I mean? Like there's that 10% you mentioned, but for the most part, they just are so accepting when that happens. They're like, yep, 
if let's say your name's Barry, so Larry's your penis, right? Like, right. So Larry wasn't in the mood today. It's okay. I'm just going to have fun no matter what. Those people seem to have better sex than people who get like really pissed at Larry. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, um, Bernie Zilbergeld, who's an old, he's a now deceased fellow, but he wrote a book about male sexualities. And one of his funniest lines was the penis kind of writing a letter to Larry saying, you're really <laughs> mistreating me. I'm always one failure away from being rejected. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the most interesting of all the exercises with men, and they hate doing that, but it really helps them, is the waxing and waning of erection exercise, where they get an erection and they purposely let it wane. And then when they get erect again, they let it wane a second time, and they don't go to orgasm until their third erection. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with a partner. You can do it with intercourse or non-intercourse. They don't like the exercise, but it really makes it clear to them that their penis can wax and wane, that they don't have to panic or apologize. Absolutely. Actually, I've seen that. And one way I play a little more is, you know, I kind of, I create a persona of the penis in the room when I mm -hmm. work with my clients. And, and, you know, I was like, like, what do you call him? What's his name? You know, because some of them have it. And if not, we'll create one because it's just a joke. Mm -hmm. But it's meant to help them. I don't know, like see that it's a like, all right. So it's a, it's an attempt at a play at understanding how sometimes the way we're talking to ourselves is just so freaking mean. <laughs> like like right. if you were a person talking to another person like this, what are you doing? You idiot. Why isn't this working? I can't stand you. Like any person would buckle under that pressure. So why do you not think your penis is going to buckle like that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you are, you are being so mean to that guy. <laughs> And um, they usually laugh because it's like, oh, you're right. I am kind of being a dick to my dick. And I'm like, yes, you mm. need to stop. Like, this is not good for you. And whether it's, you know, and I don't want to make this all about erections either, because I know you're talking about the bigger, broader piece, too. I think that in sexuality, sometimes people are being so harsh on themselves sexually, whether it's a female or a male or a transgender, because, you know, people can be broadly represented. Right. And um, I just think that internal monologue plays a big role in whether people are going to have good sex or that pass-fail sex you describe. But to me, that's terrible sex because you're not enjoying yourself. You're not just getting lost in the moment. That free-flowing flexibility is so important. And, and I guess is you're seeing that too. Scared. You're always running scared. You're only one erectile problem away from feeling like a failure. And that's yeah. one of the advantages with women is that women, in most of their lived experiences, it isn't a pass-fail test. They're used to more variable, flexible sex. And that's what allows people to be sexual with aging. And, you know, one of the things that is so interesting is that people fail with the pro-erection medications and the injections too, because they're never told how to integrate that into their couple sexual style and what are positive realistic expectations. And the best example of that is this good enough sex model that my colleague Michael Metz came up with that says 85% of the time sex will flow for the adult man. But when it doesn't flow, instead of saying what's wrong with me, he transitions with no apologies, no panic to either a sensual scenario or an erotic non-intercourse scenario. 
What's an example of an erotic non-intercourse scenario? Um, he can ask her to pleasure him to orgasm. He can pleasure her to orgasm. They can just play around and see where it leads. But there's a notion that says, this isn't going to be an intercourse night, but let's make this a really fun, positive sexual night. Whether it's so sensual, it's also allowing options that aren't all about sex, to be fair. That, that, that sex is defined as more than intercourse. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's easy for women to buy, or many women to buy. It's very hard for men to buy. But definitely it, notice I that. to my men, is a, are you going to be a traditional man, and traditional men stop being sexual at 50 or 60, or are you going to be a wise man, beat the odds, and really enjoy sex in your 60s, 70s, and 80s? That's so interesting, Barry. You know, I like how you talk too, because it's you're changing the way people are thinking about this. Because I do, I think that even before that 50, 60, or 70 year old time, a lot of men they are in that pass fail mentality. A lot of females are too. But I, to your point, females can be a little better about, you know, sometimes I'll orgasm, sometimes I won't. I think because I think actually women learn it a lot because we don't always get mutually pleasurable, pleasurable sexual experiences. And so as a result, we learn sex is more varied at a younger age. But then I think as women mature and they start to become more active in their sexuality, they start to realize that there's more to it for them. But um, males, because they've kind of learned it in that one way, they can sometimes struggle to transition. Do you see it that way or do you see it differently? And of course, no, I do think it that way, but I think you can't, the key, that's why I'm such a believer in working as a couple dealing with sex issues, whether it's going to a therapist, going to a minister, or reading a book and talking as a couple, is that ultimately you want to turn towards your partner. That's one of the major objections that women have about the prorexia medications, that he doesn't turn toward her, he turns toward a medication, tries to wall her off. And that's not an... If you're going to take a pro-erection medication, you've got to integrate it. If you're going to take one of the female desire books you want, or female desire approaches, you want to integrate that and not just expect a pill or injection to give you desire. Interesting. So do you find that, so you mentioned the female desire books, and I was curious if you find that sometimes it goes awry, like say, okay, women are reading books and they're trying to learn different things about how to experience their own arousal and desire. Where do you see there sometimes being a problem there where it's not connected as a couple, but they're kind of doing it on their own? I think the, the problem is that they then blame the partner for the sex problem rather than work together on it. You know, for young women, I'm a big fan of a book called Come As You Are by uh, Emily Nagoski. For adult women, I'm a big fan of our book, um, Finding Your Sexual Voice. I think Emily's book works much better for women under 30 or 35. Ours works much better. But the biggest thing is that she turns toward her partner and says, this is something that we can share together. And sharing means that You've got to understand that my sexual preferences in terms of desire, pleasure, eroticism, and orgasm are as important as yours. And let's figure out how to really make that work for us as a couple. Where she does it and then says, it's your problem, you're a Neanderthal, 
That's why males tend to be often anti-therapy or anti-books, that they're, they're, they feel that they're being blamed or shamed rather than treated as intimate neurotic allies. That makes so much sense. too much psychological gobbledygook or too politically correct? Or does that make some sense? No, no. Actually, I just, um, uh, my brain does this thing where I have to click a couple times, but I just suddenly thought of different times where, so sometimes people have found those books and they're good books. I really value all of them. Honestly, uh, it's part of my training, right? To read as many of those books as possible, learn, grow. But like, I've seen it where, I mean, I guess I didn't see the age difference, but I have seen where sometimes somebody has read one of those books, a female, you know, come as you are. It's a great book. And then she'll say, I'm completely normal. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm normal. And, and it feels validating to read a book like that and realize there's nothing wrong with you for having your own sexual style, your own sexual interests, like being very different than your partner. But it then can sometimes, if they haven't been working on it together and learning together as a team, Oh, here's how you're different. Here's how I'm different then it can become a divider. So it's just right. so, I was like, oh, you, you like yeah. sparked my interest in like three different couples. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting about books. Because you know, when I go to Barnes & Noble, if you can get into Barnes & Noble, I don't know if you can in St. Louis. Sure. But, and so it's well, not, not right now, down. not in St. Yeah. Louis. Sorry, hold on. No, here. but do. sometimes. But <laughs> when I go to the sex section, I actually get nauseous. If it w- I always try to be uh, socially appropriate. So, if, but if it, if it weren't socially, if it were socially appropriate, I would probably violent, because <laughs> probably half of the books, especially the books written for women, are harmful to them. It, it, they're very much. This is the right way to have an orgasm. You're having the wrong kind of orgasm. This is the right way to be multi-orgasmic. It says to the woman, "You're not good enough." Where I think Emily Ngozi's book for young women says to them, "You are normal. You are good enough." And that's a, that's a healthy message. Yes. But I think, um, so I don't disagree with you. I do think it's a wonderful, healthy message. I just think, like you said, if, if people aren't learning it together, mm. then sometimes there's a divide that occurs. And I've even seen this where, like, it's so interesting to me. Every time I send homework assignments to a couple, if they read it separate, but they don't have a conversation before they come in, they're always so shocked at how different they are, like, in terms of, the pieces they took from the article or the pieces they took from the video, whatever I send them. And it just speaks to me about how uniquely interesting each person in a couple can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that because part of our job is to value it. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, what we used to believe in the sex area was that as long as you communicate and parent well, everything's going to go well as long as you love each other and, and again, I'm always in favor of communication and love, but you've got to deal directly with desire, what works and doesn't work with desire, what works and doesn't work with satisfaction. Absolutely. And it's often very different, especially in young adulthood. Well, Barry, hey, this has been awesome. Um, I would, I probably could talk to you for two more hours, but <laughs> we're at the end of the episode. So I just wanted to thank you for joining me. And if anybody wanted to find you, where could they find you? Uh, the only place to find me is either in, uh, at Amazon and or bookstores, or let me give you my email. It's my name, Barry McCarthy, 43 at gmail.com. Oh my God, you're going to get so many. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, but okay. So your books at Amazon, you don't have a website anymore where people can find you. <laughs> you know, everybody, one of the things I always tell my clients is everybody has their vulnerabilities. And uh-huh. my vulnerability is I have a perceptual motor learning disorder. So uh, doing this interview, figuring how to set up this uh, system. And for somebody who writes as much as I do, I cannot type or use computers. So it's this idea that everybody's got their vulnerabilities. That's always my example. And it says it's okay to have vulnerabilities. But it's one of mine. You could give me a million dollars and I couldn't set up a website. All right. Well, that's okay. Hey, for anybody who wants to connect with Barry, you have his email. And I just want to thank you again so much for joining me because I've, I loved our previous interview. I loved this interview. You always give me so much, um, so many things to think about and actually give my clients so much to think about. And of course, for anyone listening, you can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. And this is www.aboutsexpodcast.com. And we've been speaking with Barry McCarthy, and I'm Angela Skirtu. Stay kinky, St. Louis.